We're the Westlop Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, gentlemen, um, kind of a, a dull week between uh, the end of the regular season championship week and, and bowl week, so I, I figured what better time to have a baby um, <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah, nice dull week for you, Sammy, right? Nothing going on. No, not at all. Um, you know, I, I think the little, little man wanted to come a little earlier. I think he wanted to watch all 39 bowl games this year in, instead of just the, the back half where he was due day after Christmas. So he was going to catch the Northwestern game one way or the other. But uh, now he gets to watch all of the bowl games. Um, so we're, he's, a big, he's a big Raging Cajuns fan, and he just had to... <laughs> Could have missed that December fifteenth one. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see how he uh, how he does with that. My guess is he's probably going to sleep through that one. Although Utah State North Texas man, <laughs> yeah. team uh, two teams without head coaches. He's got, he is all in on that. <laughs> right. So please please forgive me if I'm a little uh, dazed and uh, confused during this podcast in the next couple as I'm running on zero sleep. C- but congrats, Sammy. Thank uh, you. Yeah, congrats. Buddy. Yeah. Westlot, Westlot, pirate, um, crew mem- crewmate number five. Yep. yep. The ship just got a little bit bigger. <laughs> yep. Um, save room for number six soon, soon to arrive. Absolutely. Um, so we do have news. I mean, signing day is coming up. I believe this, this either this weekend or early part of next week, the early signing period begins. Um, someone that Northwestern has been really reliant on as far as the recruiting department goes um, has been Adam Cushing who was just named the new head coach of Eastern Illinois so first of all congratulations to him I mean that that's you know he's been with Northwestern for 14 years I think he's been there uh, as long as Fitz has at least um, offensive line coach for the past 10 uh, he headed up the recruiting for quite some time I guess now Lou Ianni has taken over for that but um, you know th- that's when when you talk about Adam Cushing and what he's been good at, uh, you know he's definitely known as a very good recruiter. We will discuss his coaching um, in a little bit, but you know as, as far as you know, first of all, congratulations. You know that that's awesome that he's you know moving up. Uh, it's now the second year in a row we're going to actually have some change on the uh, Northwestern coaching staff. Um, which I, I, is not a bad thing, I think. You know, uh, we'll see if uh, Cushing wants to bring McCall with him. Um, I don't know, maybe a familiar <laughs> face. We, we can hope. Just, we just can hope. Spitball yeah. in there. Oh. Um, but yeah, what, what do you guys think? I mean, the the biggest thing to me is that this is the first Fitz assistant, unless I'm completely whiffing on somebody who has left to go be a head coach uh, of another program. And a that's a big accomplishment for Cushing, but. It's also kind of notable for for Fitz. Now we've had uh, a number of of guys leave. Garrick McGee left to become uh, quarterbacks coach and and offensive coordinator for Arkansas. Uh, he later got a head coaching job at UAB for a couple of years. We had um, Randy Bates left a couple of years ago to go be DC at uh, Pittsburgh, and then of course you know we had Jerry Brown retiring, etc. But this is the first head coach uh, that has left the program now. I always expected Matt McPherson to be the guy that would go be a head coach elsewhere. 
thankfully it's not him that's leaving because um, we, we'll, we'll get into that maybe a little bit more in a minute here. I, I just I have really um, a lot of, uh, of of high thoughts about about Matt McPherson, but point being, like this is this is kind of a notable landmark in both Fitz's career and and in you know the the creation of his coaching tree, if you will. So uh, so that's pretty exciting from that perspective. And I don't, I don't think any of us are super concerned about this potential changeover on the staff. No. So there are obviously a lot of moving parts here and, and it's Adam Cushing and his departure is just a great, there are just so many pieces to bat around about this in terms of the value of a coach to a program, the value of a coach to our program, um, and, and all the different ways Cushing fit into all of that, right? Um, there's, I think, when you talk about, obviously, with any college coach, there's the dual element of how good is he at developing talent and how good is he at recruiting, right? And those two things are very good, and, and both are incredibly valuable, and one is just as valuable as the other, um, and it all matters. With Northwestern, too, you can throw in the elements that that align specifically with Northwestern, the number one being continuity within the program, right? Adam Cushing is a guy who was here since Fitz was an assistant coach. So you're talking, you're going way back. I mean, Adam Cushing has been in this program. We talk about this three-man nucleus we have at the top of the program. <clears throat> Cushing has been here for pretty much that entire run. And... Um, and that's a big deal and it matters. And, you know, and we can talk in a little bit about the extent to which that factors into recruiting and, and how all that matters and, and to what extent, you know, pers- the personal dynamism of a coach factors into recruiting. Um, but with that said, I mean, there's no arguing that Cushing had a, um, a really quality record as a recruiter, um, as a position coach. Um, and we must look at this with clear eyes. Um, I wish this man the best luck. Um, and he's excellent recruiter, excellent Illinois recruiter, um, a fantastic guy and, and potentially will be in great shape at Eastern Illinois. Offensive line has been arguably our most problematic position group for years. Um, and let's be honest, over half of the college football programs in the country would have fired Adam Cushing after the Penn State game last year. Um, and that was what a large portion of the Northwestern fan base was calling for. And had we not turned around the second half of that season, he most likely would have been let go. Um, and Well, or, no, I mean, no, let me, no, you say, most likely you say would that. Have been let, no, would have been let go by, again, the majority of the 130 college football programs in the country. This, again, circles it all back to the way Northwestern does things and how, for better or worse, and mostly for better, we do things differently than everybody else does. But you're right. He wasn't. Um, and, you know, Mick McCall, you know, knows exactly how this works better than anybody else. But but as a coach, he has, let's put this nicely, presided over um, a very problematic position group. And... Because you and I were were talking about, you know, going back and forth being like, you were like, no, I think it's like the failure to develop the talent. And I was kind of like, well, I think, you know, there's a little bit of a failure in the recruiting of the offensive line, too. And then when you kind of realize that you're approaching it in theory from both of those two ways, there's definitely a problem there. 
Um, that clearly, you know, there's a lack of top to bottom depth in the offensive line from a recruiting pers- perspective, and also a little bit of a failure of development. And when you factor that in with the, I mean, we went ad nauseum last year about the problems with the offensive line rotation and the fact that we trotted out a group um, for the first half of last season that was very different from the group that had been successful at the end of the season prior. And then when we reverted to the, you know, that prior rotation of guys, things seemed to correct themselves. Um, again, I don't want to go too far down a negative path here, right? But I think it's it's an, it's just so interesting to look at this all and be like, Adam Cushing was a very valuable member of the coaching staff. I would say, personally, and I think you guys kind of feel the same way, that that value did not come from a player development perspective. As a position coach, it came as a recruiter. And again, so then it becomes, okay, so what is a recruit who's looking for Northwestern? You know, what is he looking at? Um, and, and how does Cushing factor into that? Because as you said, you know, you sent it to us, Gus, earlier today, there's no arguing with the quality of recruit Adam Cushing has brought to Northwestern. He's done a great job. Yeah, this is based on the 24-7 uh, website. They they have this really cool feature where you can look up like the top recruits that, that a coach has brought in. And it's a little so you know this is a, this is all kind of anecdotal about who was the actual recruiter, or lead recruiter, or who actually signed the guy, etc. Certainly, Fitz has a lot of involvement in getting these players to to come to Northwestern. So this isn't you know this isn't a black and white sort of situation, but I think it still kind of informs some interesting things. So first of all, it's important to note that Northwestern divvies the country up more geographically as opposed to having coaches recruit the position group that they're coaching. Um, it was interesting today that, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm steering far away from how, where I started here, but it was interesting earlier today. I saw an article, uh, on rivals about, uh, basically Louis Vicaire, uh, friend of the pod has reached out to some of the offensive line recruits that are incoming this year and asked about Cushing's departure, et cetera. And they all had really good things to say about him, um, how uh, invested they felt he was in them as as players and as uh, student athletes, as aspiring um, college students. Even... A, a, a really cool takeaway from, from that article, uh, just to shout that out, was the fact like he's coaching them on, off of tape from high school. Just even in their in in their recruiting conversations, he's saying if you you know tweak something here, try something there. That that's a really really cool little point. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are some some vignettes, too, about how involved he's been in, in you know, helping these players go through some some difficult situations that, the, that they've uh, had to face over the last year or so as they've been, you know, Northwestern verbal commitments, et cetera. So uh, obviously his prowess there is really impressive. The the top five recruits per uh, 24-7 that are listed on their website that get credited to Adam Cushing are as follows. Parker Westfall, Devin O'Rourke, Vincent Brown, Quentin Williams, uh, Wyatt Blake, uh, who's an incoming offensive guard, Connor Foster, another incoming offensive guard, and uh, or offensive tackle, and then Flynn Nagel. Uh, Mike Bolden, a uh, friend of the pod, is, is on here as well. Tommy Carnifex. Point being, like, Cushing's been involved in recruiting some, some of the really good players that have come to Northwestern in the last couple of years. Uh, you'll notice that a lot of those guys I named were not offensive linemen. Again, this is the regional recruiting that Northwestern does, but 
He clearly had a really strong impact in this space. He was recruiting coordinator, I think, from 08 to 2011 uh, before giving way to Matt McPherson. McPherson's list, by the way, is unreal. We'll get to that later. But this is, you know, I think I think we're all looking at this and seeing a potential silver lining on the offensive line coaching. And uh, there's already talk about uh, we hired we hired a guy out of uh, out of the Arkansas program as an analyst this year, an offensive analyst, uh, Frank Anderson. Do I have that right? Um, who was offensive line coach at Arkansas under Brett Bielema. The idea being that he's probably going to have first crack at replacing Cushing, uh, whether or not he gets offered the job or not, or goes elsewhere, who knows? We'll see. But um, this is, you know, outside of the O-line development, coaching performance, et cetera, this is where I think there could be a little bit of pain for Northwestern going forward without Cushing on staff. And, and hopefully all those uh, O-line recruits stay true to their commitment, stick with Northwestern. Um, you know, they're not going to tell, tell Louis Vicaire anything different, but uh, they all generally affirmed that they were going to stay as Wildcats. They said Fitz was really reassuring. They noted, a couple of them noted that Fitz was uh, – very effusive in his um, commitment. Effusive. I, I, in his commitment I, I feel, to Northwestern. I, I feel like. I, yeah. I feel like. Say what you're about to say. I feel like we buried the lead a little bit on this in terms yeah. of what people, what listeners of the pod might have had in the back of their head over the past week. But go ahead. Yes. Yeah, reaffirm that. Fitz told these guys he was 100 percent committed to Northwestern. They should ignore everything they're hearing about the Green Bay Packers. So, um, and you fans, for you know, for what it's worth, have a little bit of a of a sigh of relief there. Yeah. But um, but point being, like that's that's the risk here is that either there's some you know, the risk is is for some of the recruits that he's been involved with recently, or if there's some you know like coaching relationship with McCall that that his departure makes McCall get you know even worse or or that that could potentially happen. But that that seems to be a, about the limit of the downside risk here. Well, so one other thing too that. You talked about the list, and, you know, after you sent us this today, because I kind of went over it with a fine-toothed comb. And <clears throat> so going back to the geographic thing you were talking about, and if you think this does not have a lot of the reason to do with why Adam Cushing was hired at Eastern Illinois, um, this is definitely a huge part of it. All of the recruits that he's responsible for are from Illinois, from Ohio, or are offensive linemen. That is his list. So when you look at the top of his list, Parker Westfall, Devin O'Rourke, right, Wyatt Blake, he demonstrated an ability to help land top in-state recruits and get them to come to Northwestern, which is a fantastic skill. Eastern Illinois is clearly hoping that a guy with this level of knowledge of the Illinois high school football season, uh, high school football um, landscape is going to be able to tap into that and and build on those relationships. Also, because and you know, because you just alluded to it, um, Cushing is clearly a really high character individual. I mean, the the Louis Vacare speech. Um, he's talking about you know their offensive lineman had a death in the family, and he really credits Cushing for being a, a someone who really helped him through that. Um, just real, I mean, obviously everyone, you, you know, you talk about longevity with the program, but having a really high character guy in the program for a lot of time, that is the Northwestern way that we talk about. And, and Cushing is, was a banner carrier for that. And that's what Eastern Illinois is going to be getting. Um, but it's, it's interesting, you know, to talk about, okay, so he did a really good job recruiting in Illinois and in Ohio. Well, we have other 
people rec- recruiting Ohio. Ohio is one of our hotbeds. I mean, we talk about um, Bowser, either of the two big recruits, or you know, at least one of the two big recruits that we just signed um, in the class of 2020, also from Cincinnati. Um, you know, so we clearly re- have a footprint here. And then, and I kind of wanted to talk about this with you guys too. Is like, well, in state, um, I would hope that. Any player in Illinois with the grades to play football at Northwestern um, has many, many reasons to to be already pulled into the whirlpool of Northwestern football beyond the personality of any one particular coach. Our two hundred million uh, million dollar Lakeshore facility being one of those things, but it's just you know it's like I we would hope right. That the, that the program itself has reached a point where in state it is already a, a self perpetuating machine i i do want to briefly mention before we uh move on uh john you mentioned a couple uh recruits uh making their commitments uh this past week yes um cam porter uh from the same high school that brought us jordan thompson and jeremy larkin he's a running back uh, from the cincinnati area he committed uh to the cats this past week as well as jaheen joseph a uh, three-star recruit from Miami. He uh, is coming to Northwestern as well. So uh, it looks like he's going to be a corner, 5'10", 170. Um, Joseph with uh, offer lists, uh, offers from Michigan. And, well, I mean, Louisville, sure. I mean, that that's a tire fire in and of itself. But he took he a Miami kid coming to Northwestern over Michigan. That, that's a real big deal. Sam, I, I you know, pivoting to Cam Porter... I, I don't know if you've noticed, but we sure seem to be pulling a lot of recruits from Cincinnati lately. It's almost like yeah. somehow we've suddenly got some sort of sleeper agent in the city of Cincinnati who's a big Northwestern fan who's directing these recruits. I, I don't know. I'm just, you know. Hey, you, you bring up a really good point. I think you've got something there. Scuzz. <laughs> uh, no comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to bring up uh, McPherson real quick because I he is the guy that I am most expecting us to lose uh, to another program as head coach. Um, and he, he interviewed last year for, was it the Eastern Michigan job and didn't get it? Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's stuck with Northwestern. But, and again, these lists are not ironclad, but just for comparison, you, you heard me read off Cushing's list of top, top recruits here's here's the top guys listed under mcpherson justin jackson clayton thorson ernest brown devon custis godwin Iguibuike, jeremy larkin yeah boy (laughs) nelly um i mean mcpherson uh i i actually i met him when i was living in texas um he came down because Texas I bet, is one. I bet, I bet you did, Scuzz. I bet well, you guys had a nice long time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, he was, uh, he was, uh, responsible for, for Texas and, uh, came down to do like an alumni event where, um, it was funny. He actually, he was showing film of like some of the recent, uh, recent signees. It was, it was all about just drumming up support with it, with, the, you know, the alumni base down there and such, um, which was, which was pretty cool. But, uh, no, he's, he's dynamite and the the fact that he's moved from running backs to defensive backs um as a position coach and you know we still saw some pretty some pretty awesome work in our defensive backfield this year 
is, uh, I think, a testament to his versatility as a coach. I just, I think it's a matter of time before he becomes a head coach somewhere. Maybe they're hoping to, to to string him along and keep him with this program as you know the he's he's obviously filled Jerry Brown's role as as like assistant coach to Fitz and you know maybe there's a ten year plan in place um, as they had with with Fitz and Walker back in the day I don't know but he's the one that I'm I'm much more worried about leaving um, that would have a much bigger impact on the program and well and two it's funny we haven't really mentioned his name yet Louis Ianni who is our current recruiting Ooh, coordinator Nelly. Yeah, um, who was brought in because he is a dynamic recruiter. Um, and, you know, this is the kind of thing where, you know, we do this sometimes, but I'd love to, to, you know, listeners, send us emails about your own thoughts about all this, just because there are so many angles here and there are so many things where I think we'd be really curious to hear what you guys think about this. Because, again, we talked about before, Aini came from the school that offers the most scholarships of any college in the country, Iowa State, by far to the school that offers the second least amount of scholarships after Stanford, Northwestern. Um, and, you know, so it's it's just funny, like, uh, clearly we're banking, besides him being a Northwestern alum, that the skills that served him so well at one program are going to immediately translate to a program that operates on a completely different scholarship system. And then just folding that into, you know, how important is continuity within within the program? How important are the new facilities? How important is the Northwestern way? You know, how important is any one coach's coaching ability versus what a quote-unquote Northwestern man, you know, future wants to just do when he's coming out of high school? So, again, like, drop us a line. Shoot us an email. Tweet at us. Um, we'd love to know what you guys think is most important because there are just so many ways to look at this. Um, and it's a fascinating situation and it's fascinatingly unique the way that we do things. Well, I, you mentioned Louis Ayeni and uh, well, first let me double down on that. Yes. We would love to, to chat, chat about this stuff. Um, via email or on Twitter or whatever, uh, really interested to, to just, I mean, we don't know everything either. Like we're, we're really happy to, to hear other perspectives and, and learn other people's opinions, what, what other people are hearing uh, or seeing as, as they engage with, whether it's, you know, with their alumni groups or um, people in the NGN, et cetera. So, uh, but you, John, you mentioned Louis Ianni and just, here's an interesting thing. So Cam Porter is listed on Louis Ianni's um, kind of recruiting, uh, recruiting list. Uh, number two overall, by the way, um, Genson Hooper Price being the the top guy on Louis Ayani's all time uh, commits list, but there are two other really interesting ones on here from his time in uh, at Iowa State. Um, one is uh, Deshante Jones, a wide receiver, that is at Iowa State right now, and the other is David Montgomery, Iowa State's do everything awesome running back. Well, and let's be honest too, there ought to be an asterisk of a fifth player on that list who. Ianey was no doubt instrumental in getting to go to Iowa State, who is Jarrell, <laughs> Jarrell Brock. Um, well, well, the difference between Jarrell Brock and those guys is that those other two guys are both from Cincinnati. And I bring this up because the Cincinnati pipeline has become a very interesting development, in my opinion, for Northwestern. And all joking aside, I have nothing to do with it. Let's be, <laughs> be very clear. <laughs> I, am, I, am, I am not a bag man. I am not involved. I have two maniac children. I don't have time for that crap. <laughs> but uh, anyways, point being, like this is 
Cincinnati's long been an area that Brian Kelly has recruited really well for Notre Dame. It is a hotbed of football activity, as much of the state of Ohio is. But Cincinnati is different from the rest of the state because while Ohio State certainly has, you know, prowess and draw in the Cincinnati area, Cincinnati holds itself a little bit apart from the rest of Ohio. It is it is Cincinnati first, Ohio second. Um, I don't think that's necessarily true in other places that I've been in the state. And as a result, um, and also because of the very um, prominent uh, Catholic school league here in Cincinnati as well, there's just a lot of um, of opportunity, and, and there's a really strong pipeline of players. And seeing Northwestern start to tap into that, uh, you know, we talked about Larkin with Porter now. Um, uh, Jordan Thompson came out of that same high school. It's become a very interesting pipeline, and it's um, especially fascinating to see me for especially fascinating for me to see that Louis Ayeni has had uh, success and and history recruiting this area as well. Yeah, definitely uh, nice to you know, really kind of develop that Ohio pipeline. Speaking of Ohio, um, we. Some news broke uh, right after the Big Ten title game. Um, well, a couple days after. Uh, and, and this has sort of been rumored for a little bit, but finally made official. Urban Meyer retiring. Retiring? Uh, but he's, he's definitely uh, leaving Ohio State, uh, giving the reins to Ryan Day. Um, R- rumored, but um, strongly denied. Yeah, he, uh. he really <laughs> was trying to shoot that down as much as possible. But uh yeah, Urban's final game is going to be the Rose Bowl. Um, I don't know. I mean, we, we talked about it for a, a while, like just especially all this year, what with you know the suspension and everything that went on uh, with with all that at the beginning of the year, then just you know watching him doubling over in pain, uh, dealing with the the brain cysts. Um, there's no taking away Urban Meyer was a, a fantastic like. A fantastic coach. Is he ever going to coach again? So, it's it is a weird situation. I mean, obviously, when the Florida thing happened, that was for health reasons, also. But they were certainly less visible. I mean this this season there were several games where he when your coach is literally doubled over on the sideline, and this is certainly not something that sounds like it's going to be going away. I mean, this is a guy who's I mean he's a for head coaches, relatively young, but he's not going to be getting any younger. Um, and it, it is a weird situation, right? I mean, you always have that whole, I mean, with everything else that comes with the Urban Meyer stew, right? I mean, like, we always tend to believe, like, hey, l- let me just say, look, Liberty hired Hugh Freeze last week, okay? So I'm just saying, there's always a program that's willing to do whatever it takes, right? Um, but the health aspect of it is certainly a big thing where a coach you know you're thinking look how long are you physically going to be capable of coaching our team like I said even with all that there's still a sliding scale and there is certainly teams who would line up to interview him if given the chance I don't know about the very top programs though just because they're going to be viewing it as as long term the big x factor for me though too is again I certainly can't imagine this guy resting on his laurels for the next 20 years. Like that's not, he'll be involved in some high profile capacity, but everything that happened this past year just put a giant wrench into his TV prospects. I mean, we would all be thinking, well, he'll just be walking right back in the doors of ESPN, but 
that is certainly not going to happen, at least in the near future. So I think he's going to be doing something. I know there's talk, right, that he's going to be potentially in an administrative capacity at Ohio State. Yeah, but that's... Yeah, I, the only thing with me is, I for me, I'm just like, I feel like he's going to feel like he's got to be involved in football in some way. And I could be wrong. Barry Alvarez showed you can make a go of it as an AD. Um, but I don't know. I, I I feel like we're going to be seeing him in some high-profile position sooner rather than later. I'm just not exactly sure what it's going to be. What I have um, kind of gleaned is he's going to he's going to stay at Ohio State in the short term. My immediate thought when I heard that as an administrator like you mentioned John was ooh there's a like I see a potential AD role just very much like the um like the Barry Alvarez situation up at Wisconsin which by the way has not been without controversy, right? Uh, assistance coaches and Brett right. Bielema and others, you know, flooding out of there. T- taking out how many bowl games has he won as athletic? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, not, you know, at the same time, from what's going on earlier in the year, like he and Gene Smith seem to be in lockstep with one another, but the president wanted to suspend him or maybe even fire him. Like it was a much more stringent um, uh, view on, on what. Meyer's punishment should be and he kind of got he kind of felt like he couldn't go against the board by all accounts that relationship is is uh right not exactly someone's gonna be lining up to hire him as ad exactly and that that is the only thing i don't the only thing that makes sense to me for him to coach again and john you mentioned it with the health stuff the other the other thing about meyer and he said this I think he said that said this part of the way into his tenure at Ohio State. Like he would love to be the CEO guy that just sits at the top and directs traffic and doesn't fret the small stuff and doesn't you know tear his headset off and throw it and et cetera et cetera. That's not who he is though. He's a details guy. He right. is in exactly. the weeds and, exactly, and that. He he can't change that. There's no way that's going to change. Now, I don't. I don't imagine that he could stay at Ohio State forever. I just it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel tenable to me. I wonder what happens if Brian Kelly goes to the NFL or. Or they have a horrible season and he gets fired. They'd have to have several horrible seasons in a row for him to get canned at this stage. At this point, yeah. yeah. But Brian Kelly's expressed interest in the NFL in the past. Notre Dame was perceived to be the place that was going to hire him when Florida swooped in at the last minute. He grew up a massive Notre Dame fan. There are... He's named after a pope, for God's sake. Um... That, like that's the one place I could see, but I, you know, we've heard from you know our our friends at Winnie Keaters that everything were like, oh man, he's taking the USC job. Like they all, they all thought this was like a precursor to something. I don't think that's the case, but I don't know that this guy can resist the temptation. And so here's here's a comparable situation. It's maybe not a great comparison for obvious reasons, but when Jerry Kill left Minnesota for health reasons, and then, well, a. Ha- 
had a lot of health reasons, tried to change, tried to step back, tried to get further away from the game, left the program entirely, turned up as an offensive or turned up as, as I think an, an administrator, an athletic director somewhere that didn't last. And then he tried to be an OC at Rutgers that didn't last. Like it will, I imagine it will be very difficult and urban's a pretty disciplined guy, but I imagine it'll be very difficult for him to resist the urge to try his hand again once he's gotten away from it for a couple of years. But I don't think that there's any premeditated aspect to that right now. Well, t- tough to really find in a nice pivot point or a, a smooth transition into our next topic for the night. So I'll just go ahead and make it as awkward as possible. Let's talk a little basketball before we uh, dive into our bowl preview for the for this season. Um, Northwestern basketball, what an interesting last couple of games, um, you know, from that close, close loss at Indiana right before the big 10 championship game, uh, to the game against Michigan, which was, uh, Michigan was a big cats came back, made it really, really close, you know, back and forth down the stretch. And then, you know, a, a chance to win or tie at the buzzer, just rimming off. Uh, and then the, this last game against DePaul, going on a 25-0 run uh, to come back from 15 down to win by 10. Um, you know, it's been a real encouraging, I don't know. I mean, like, the start of the DePaul game was brutal. The Cats looked really, really bad, but then turned it on. And I've, I've heard a lot of uh, people kind of discussing why that might be, what's going on, um, you know, be it uh, just a ton of games in a row, just a ton really close together. You know, the tournament out in California, you know, the, the big 10 games early, you know, a bunch of different reasons, but you know, the fact that they're able to, to turn it around and now, you know, a couple, you know, games are a lot less frequent as we go into finals week. Um, you know, the uh, winter break, uh, before we come back into big 10 play, but, Things are clicking in a way that we haven't seen in a while, and yet there's still plenty of room for improvement. It's uh, it's it's a weird situation in terms of like what kind of team this is, what they do well, and it's funny. It's it's a team where you can squint, and when you squint, you see an excellent basketball team, and at time they are like you could argue that the last three games they've been so close to being that team this is a team that is basically six guys playing right now um it's a it's a six-man rotation and then basically just like barely any minutes for any other guys right now it's a team that that rotation basically includes what like one true guard i would say uh, Ryan Taylor is the only guard. Uh, well, no, Ryan Taylor and Anthony Gaines. So really, you're playing six guys um, in your rotation. Two of them are really actually guards. Um, but and, and no one's a point guard. Right, and, and there are no point guards. So right off the bat, that is just such a weird situation. You can immediately submit the, sim, uh, see limitations within that um, and a ceiling to success. And yet... One thing that is very clear, this is capable of being a phenomenal defensive basketball team. And that starts with Vic Law. And Vic Law, as things currently stand, may just play himself into the second round of the NBA draft. 
because the guy who has shown up so far this season is a guy who is capable of leading his team in scoring, capable of hitting a lot of threes, and capable of playing great defense on multiple positions. So Vic's screaming three and D out there right now, and that is a draftable skill set. It's the other thing we're capable of doing really well, and I think you see in the DePaul game um, the exact moment when both of these two things clicked in in the second half. We're also capable of hitting threes at a crazy rate. And that's because we have three guys out there who can really stroke it. A.J. Turner was cold at the start of the season, caught fire like crazy in the DePaul game. Law can get hot, and Ryan Taylor has one of the sweetest three-point strokes you will ever see. That guy is just wet shooting the ball. It's crazy. Um, And if those three guys are all hitting it, a team that's got three guys hot from three that plays great defense can beat anybody, and we almost beat Michigan. Um, And so it's two losses, two narrow losses, and a big comeback win. On one hand, had we not rallied in the second half of the DePaul game, we'd all be really grunting and groaning right now. But this is a team that got white hot against DePaul and could have beaten two conference opponents. So, you know, a mixed bag, but I'd say there's there's definitely reason for serious optimism here. Well, what's very clear, and, and the DePaul game is kind of the first time that this trend has been bucked, really. Um, maybe, maybe the Georgia Tech game uh, as well given the way the second half of that game played out. But when Law and Pardon are not either on the floor or hitting shots, this team really struggles. Like, they are it is, they are the strength and the weakness of this team. They're both really good, really versatile players. Uh, they're able to, to create matchup problems, etc. They're, they're good on both ends of the floor. But when one of them is struggling the team really struggles and without them on the floor it's a it's a real disaster and what's interesting against DePaul is that this is the first time like Pardon didn't have a great game um he only had seven attempts he was three of seven he ended up with four fouls he missed you know he played 37 minutes but certainly foul trouble was a concern he only ended up with 10 points that's I mean that's that's well below you know a good four to four to six points below what he's been averaging um, and just not as dominant of a showing, but AJ Turner showing up uh, made made a huge difference there, and and Law was spectacular, of course, in that game. But this is, I mean, this is going to be the story going forward: is that if Law or Pardon are struggling, the Cats are going to be in in deep caca. And what, when they're playing well, we're going to have a shot to beat just about anybody. What, one thing you really have to shout out for Pardon is just his, how great he's been on the offensive glass. Um, you know, his offensive, uh, his rebound percentage offensive defense is almost 50 50. I mean, he is crashing the offensive glass in a way that we have not seen him do in a long time. And that's, you know, really kind of opened up some even more scoring from Pardon. Yeah, and he's close to a double double. Like he, like he's he's averaging nine rebounds a game. Uh, if you can just bump that up to ten, um, yeah. I mean, he's 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 really having a good season. And I hope I didn't sound like I was bagging on him at all. It's just this is this is the case, especially if he goes up against uh, a talented opponent. DePaul has um, has a pretty big. I mean, he's listed as a forward, but their senior quasi center Femi Oljobi um, put up twenty two in this game and certainly was causing some problems. Uh, 
for uh, for pardon. And that you know, that, this is just going to be the tale of the tape. And, it, and it's so funny because two months ago we were talking about how deep this team could potentially go. And I think we even had the conversation like, but it seems like we have this conversation every year. And then we, you know, when, when rubber meets the road, it's six guys. And once again, it's six guys. And I do think that the staff is starting to figure out what to do with all the pieces that they have, because this isn't, this isn't team unlike any Northwestern team that's ever been constructed. We've been such a backcourt driven team for the you know the four years that McIntosh was starting, the four years that Juice Thompson was starting, like such a backcourt driven team that to to operate without one is is a well, huge departure. And I hate to pile on too, but this is something that's probably never gonna go away. Jordan Lathan's playing thirty one minutes a game for UTEP and leading their team in assists. And we're never gonna know why his offer was pulled um and but he's the missing that's the missing piece right there it's just that's he's their primary ball handler he run they run their offense through him and that's the one thing that the team is missing right now is the power one and if we had that and it was a seven man rotation but we don't and i i probably shouldn't be bringing it up but um it's just it's one of those weird things, and but again, it's I, I'll give credit to, to Collins, right? It's a weird team, um, and given everything you just said, Scuzz, about the way things have we've historically done things and the way that the team has to be set up this season, um, and again, there's a lot of conference basketball yet to say. You know, <clears throat> I don't want to heap the kudos on Collins. Let's see how it all plays out. But so far, given everything that's going on. Um, this team has certainly shown a lot of potential, and and you never know. Maybe there's a winning streak to be ripped off here. We'll see. As we record on the 11th of December, we've got three games left in this calendar year. Um, you got on the 17th, Chicago State, the 21st, Oklahoma, and then on the 30th, um, Columbia <laughs> comes into town. So nice little smart guy. Uh, matchup uh, right before you know, the day the day before the uh, bowl game, um, so you know a, a great opportunity to you know practice, get your legs back before the uh, the start of the big, uh, I guess the restart of the Big Ten season. Um, you know, cats sitting at zero and two in conference uh, with that the little early December taste of conference play that we've uh, seen the past couple of years. Um, but yeah, one, I mean, what, one one thing to note that Oklahoma game um, will be very different from Oklahoma. A couple like did we play them last year? I think and their uh, their do everything, shoot everything guard um, annihilated us. He's gone. At the same time, they're eight and one, so certainly not a gimme. Um, that that game might be a little tougher than both tougher than anticipated and less tough than we're all thinking slash remembering in our minds. I mean, not having Trey Young there is, is definitely going to be helpful. And and again, it's like, you know, the committee doesn't care about losses. And Oklahoma being good, great. Let's beat them. We need a marquee win. That's the that's the one thing this season doesn't have so far. Let's go get it. So now comes our, our fun little time of the college football season, a time where we the time of the year. The time of the year Jonah just couldn't wait to to be a part of. <laughs> so true. 
Um, that's right. It's bowl. It's bowl season. Um, you know, the Westlaw Pirates Bowl Challenge is up. If you head to our website, westlawpirates.com, uh, you can get uh, all the information to sign up. Uh, join us on ESPN's uh, Bowl Mania Challenge. Um, we'll have those links on Facebook and Twitter as well. So uh, just c- come on over, sign up. It's uh, always good times. Um, you know, we're going to, a few games we want to talk about just to, to get into the bowl season. Yeah, I always love that kind of first Saturday of bowl season where it's just five games of teams that most people have not paid any attention to all season, but it, it's always good times. Um, in the bowl challenge, you've got the uh, Air Force Reserve Celebration Bowl, uh, North Carolina A&T versus Alcorn State. Um, you know, it's the annual bowl game of the HBCUs. Uh, that That's always a good time. Can you guys break down the Aggies and Braves at all for me? I'll say this. If you're a Chicago Bears fan, you better be watching and rooting for those Aggies to thank your lucky stars for Tariq Cohen. Uh, that that that's all the reason you need to root for A and T right there. Uh, Eric, you, you don't need to comment on that. I, I know how your feelings on the subject. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's let's avoid my head exploding and me going nuclear on this podcast. Um, I'll just North Carolina A and T is a seven and a half point favorite, and that's usually good enough for me to put forty one confidence points on this game. Um, I don't know; it's a weird one, but. It is what it is. Uh, so what, what's interesting, and, and this year even more than in previous years, you know, you always have, as you're trying to make your picks, you've got the the wild card of, you know, what teams have lost their coach, what teams, um, you know, playing an interim coach or, you know, weirdness on the coaching side. But, you know, this year it's something that started in, a couple years ago and, um, you know, was met with early derision, but this year no one seems to uh, really be up in arms about it at all, which is such a departure from last year. But uh, these, you know, NFL draft prospects who are skipping bowl games, uh, you got a guy like, Oh, oh, there's still people up in arms, um, but just fewer of them. Yeah. It's not nearly as much as like when um, Christian McCaffrey skipped uh, the Stanford bowl game to get ready for the NFL. And, you know, he was just roasted by almost everybody and then got drafted eighth overall by Carolina and is just laughing all the way to the bank. But um, you got Will Greer for the big, biggest example for West Virginia. Um, you know, him not playing in that bowl game, just, you know, take everything you know about, you know, the, the two teams playing in the bowl game and you can throw a lot of it out the window um, it makes it really hard to, to preview. It makes it really hard to handicap. Uh, it's a good thing we're not a handicapping pod because I would just you know throw my hands up and quit if we were trying to determine lines and whether those made sense and who to bet on. I just, uh, you know, I'm sleep deprived as it is to try and put all that together would just probably make my head explode. And we're, we are a no head explode podcast, uh, especially uh, this weekend. So as we get into Saturday, uh, December 15th, you've got at Camping World Stadium, Orlando, Florida, the Auto Nation Cure Bowl uh, featuring Tulane and Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns. I, here's my thought on this one. Um, Tulane is 
a team that has been awful, you know, relatively recently. And it's funny because the AAC is such a watered-down conference. It's not what it was. Obviously, it has some real power at the top, though. And that's really important in terms of what differentiates it from, let's say, Conference USA or the Sun Belt in the case of the Raging Cajuns. Like, Tulane lost to some bad teams this year, but they beat Memphis, for example. Uh, Louisiana has seven wins. Grambling, Texas State, New Mexico State, Arkansas State, Georgia State, University of San An- of Texas San Antonio, I think. Or no, South Alabama. University of South Alabama and University of Louisiana Monroe. Uh, and on the strength of those seven monster wins, they're going bowling. So um, I obviously... Raging Cajuns, coolest nickname in sports, but it's, I mean, I think Tulane's just better. So what's interesting to me in this game is super contrast of styles. Louisiana uh, Lafayette is go, 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 tons of points on offense, and Tulane's the opposite. Um, they uh, they don't have a very efficient offense. Uh, they, they're their defense is even a little bit, a little bit better than their offense. Um, so the, it'll be interesting how this plays out from like a pace perspective. I mean, generally, generally when uh, Louisiana Lafayette is winning games, they're scoring uh, close to 50 points or more. I'll, I'll go with the offense in this. I like, I like the Raging Cajuns uh, to win this game, to knock off Tulane. Tulane's got farther to travel for whatever that, you know, does or doesn't mean. Um, Tulane is the favorite though by three and a half right now. You've got in the Gildan, New Mexico Bowl, uh, Utah State, and North Texas. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, two teams that do not have their head coaches for one reason or, or another. Um, well, for because they were both really good. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Latrell's staying. Is, is Latrell staying? Really? Yeah, Latrell didn't go. Oh. I, That's yeah, right. He announced they, he was coming back. They Kansas State wanted him, but Kansas State hired North Dakota State's head coach yeah. uh, instead. Yeah, no, so Latrell announced he's coming back. Um, I must have missed that in the delivery room. Um. <laughs> Sam, get it together! Come on, man, <laughs> you got to have your priorities straight. Let's go. I mean, the the one thing like Utah State going back to Gary Anderson, um, which is really interesting. It sounded like. You know, the, the boosters really, really wanted that. And Utah State, you know, may w- have wanted to go a different direction, a younger coach. Um, so that, that's interesting kind of subtext going on there. Um, man, no- nothing makes me less confident in Utah State than Gary Anderson after watching his tenure, uh, since he left Wisconsin. I, I will say though, I mean, Utah State was friggin' awesome this year. I mean, they lost their last game of the season to Boise, and they lost their first game of the season to Michigan State, a game that I watched and they easily could have won and almost did win. Uh, Michigan State was hanging on for dear life in that game. And in between, they won 10 straight. Um, This is a really good team with a really good quarterback, and I think they'll probably have the edge here. And for some reason, North Texas is an eight-point favorite. Yeah, because North Texas is awesome, and oh. Seth, and Seth Luttrell is is a really really good coach. Um, I I I like North Texas to win this game. I've got them. Um, These are two really good teams <laughs> for this early in the in the Bulls. Are, are you really giving away all of your confidence points here, Scus? I mean, good on you if you are, but uh... 
Well, I don't have my confidence rates, uh, my confidence points um, calculated yet, but I do, I do favor North Texas in this game. Um, I've got them with a, a 78% chance of, of winning the game. The Mitsubishi Motors. 73%, sorry. All right. Uh, the Mitsubishi Motors Las Vegas Bowl pitting Arizona State and Fresno State. Um Raise your hand if you thought Arizona State was going to be bowl eligible. Hey, well, I, I'm just looking off, for hats off, Herm. I'm looking forward to seeing how Herm reacts to a uh, you know a bunch of college kids in Vegas. That'll be. I mean, I mean, they're coming from Tempe, which you know isn't the most calm, laid back area. But uh, you know, set a bunch of college kids uh, off in Vegas and watch Herm Edwards' head explode. But um, Fresno is playing real good football. You sit down at that blackjack table and you say, hey, what what are my goals here? You need someone to sit down next to you and say, hello, you play to win the game. Um, <laughs> Fre- Fre- Fresno, um, I mean, there's, there's an alternate situation, right, where um, – where what UCF – Mackenzie Milton gets hurt. UCF implodes in the second half of that game. Then UCF loses the week after, and Fresno State is playing in the Fiesta Bowl right now. Fresno State held up their end of it. Um, UCF just, and we're so happy they did, rallied down the stretch and and, and went into a New Year's Six Bowl, um, and you know, well-earned. But Fresno, I think, right, they ended up second in the in that group of five group and had... UCF lost those two games. It's probably Fresno that gets in. They earn and they earn their way in. Mountain West champs coming in off of a, a big win over Boise. Yeah, Good go, team. going into Boise and coming away with a win—that—that's no joke. Yep. Uh, Four thirty Central on ESPN. You've got the Raycom Me- Media Camellia Bowl at the Crampton Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama. <laughs> I'm so glad you're the one that has to say all these names, Sam. This is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's even more fun with no sleep. So <laughs> you can you can grade my performance later. Um, Georgia Southern and Eastern Michigan. Georgia Southern a one point favorite in this one. Uh, over under forty seven and a half. Scuzz, you got anything here? I got nothing here. Um, <laughs> Eastern was you know Eastern's been surprisingly good the last couple of years. Is is Georgia Southern the team that runs like the four deep? Um, I formation or is that Georgia State? Oh, they might. No, I think you're right. I think it is Georgia Southern going back to their FCS days, right? Yeah, I mean just just for that, you know, in Alabama running the the four deep I formation. I don't know, feels good. The I, I'll say this about Eastern Michigan: um, they won four of their last five, and they uh, held Akron to seven points. So that's all I have to say about that. 8 p.m. Central uh, at the Superdome in New Orleans. You got the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl, Middle Tennessee versus App State. We've talked a lot about App State and how good they were this year and how they should have looked a lot better. Yes. Take the knee. Go take for the love of God. Won't someone take a knee against Penn State? Hey, that, that um, got Scott Satterfield a job at Louisville. 
Yep. Yep. And he's not coaching the bowl game. He is gone. Um, they've named an interim coach. So that, that feels like a loss, but I don't know. This also has been a program that has gone through, um, has gone through head coaches leaving for bigger programs before. So it doesn't hurt them in Vegas. App State is, is still a seven point favorite uh, at the time we record here. So that, that's that opening Saturday. Uh, moving on to Tuesday, December 18th, you've got the Cherubundi Boca Raton Bowl at FAU Stadium in Boca Raton. That's UAB and Northern Illinois. You know those guys from DeKalb love the opportunity to get down to South Florida in the middle of uh, December. Yeah, get, get away from that, the wind sweeping through the plains of Illinois and the freezing tundra and whatever. They're going to Boca. I hope they enjoy it because I think they're going to lose to UAB. Um, UAB is the story in college football this year. This this team did not have a program four years ago. Uh, they have come back and have uh, put together a spectacular season. They're they're favored not by a ton. I you know this is one where I just I don't even know that the matchups matter. I just I just think UAB is they're kind of living a dream season right now and I don't expect it to end. I, so it's interesting. Northern Illinois kind of two things. One, they kind of hijacked the Mac narrative because Buffalo was on this dream season, um, headed for 11 wins and a Mac championship. And then Northern Illinois uh, came from behind and beat them by one in the Mac championship. Um, so good on you, Northern Illinois for picking that off. Also, I would say this is the first game that we've talked about so far in this preview with that features a, a an absolute blue chip must watch player and that's Sutton Smith, Northern Illinois defensive end. Um, this will be your last chance to watch this guy, first team All America defensive end, um, sack machine. Um, there may be no place for him in the NFL. He's basically like a wide receiver playing defensive end, <laughs> and. Um, was a guy who was very lightly recruited because of his size and has basically developed himself into a speed rush terror. Um, for prep tape for this game, I include I encourage you to watch last year's Northern Illinois-Nebraska game when Sutton Smith just absolutely abused the entire Nebraska offensive line for four quarters en route to their upset of that game. So um, he is worth watching in this one, but... Um, Scuzz is probably right. UAB is probably the better team overall. On Wednesday, uh, the DXL Frisco Bowl at the uh, Toyota Stadium in Frisco. I believe that's the uh, home of the MLS uh, program in the Dallas area. You've got San Diego State and Ohio. Ohio, a three-point favorite over uh, over SDSU. Scuzz, have you been to that stadium? I have driven past it. As, <laughs> as have I. It's, you know, out in the middle of the suburbs i drove I gonna... past it when there were many north dakota state fans uh oh that's right there. That, that's yeah. where that's where the uh the fcs title game is yep mm, okay i was just curious about what kind of venue it is and mls stadiums tend to be really awesome places to watch sports just because there are not that many seats um yeah i that i would uh hazard a guess that that is true about this one as well I know San Diego State, you know, had a really promising season, and then they kind of tanked down the stretch. <clears throat> they lost their last three, including to Fresno, by what eight, um, and their and three point loss to UNLV, one point loss to Hawaii. 
and those were huge losses. This is a team that was contending for the Mountain West. Um, so it's they're certainly licking their wounds coming in, but I think they they were a really strong team at one point. On Thursday, uh, December 20th, you've got Marshall and South Florida playing at the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa at the Raymond James Stadium there. Not the most bizarre uh, bowl sponsor we're going to talk about tonight, but uh, yeah, Marshall and South Florida. That, that, that's a home game for South Florida, right? I guess, man. I just, I'm so curious to hear. Scuzz saw, saw USF in person. Paper Tiger, I mean Paper Bull. This is a team that was undefeated five weeks ago, six weeks ago, and now they're seven and five. Um, and I mean, the the wheels fell off the wagon for this team. When I saw them in Cincinnati on an extremely cold night, it was in the in the mid twenties, and they just looked like they didn't want to be there. This is a game they get to play essentially at home, um, in you know the balmy tens of, t- uh, Tampa weather. They've got so much more talent than Marshall does, and like we we know Charlie Strong can coach, um, especially on defense. I don't know. I, I'm kind of surprised Marshall's favored, but I also would expect just. To, I mean, just like you said, John, like this team was undefeated and then fell off a truck, so maybe they've they've all kind of packed it in. And it was five bad losses too, all by double figures, and it's like how? I mean, this team was undefeated. And you kind of look at their schedule, and it's like, what was their best win by far was Georgia Tech, and their second best win, I, and it, I don't even know if I can say this, might be Illinois. Um, Only because they had to come back. I mean, they were down big to Illinois and came back to win that game, if you recall. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's, it's hard to know what this team is. Um, but, you know, I guess we'll get a little bit more clue against Marshall. Friday, December 21st, the Makers Wanted Bahamas Bowl featuring Florida International and Toledo, but that is not what I want to talk about. Gesundheit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is this is perfect because I have nothing to say from a football perspective about this game, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, Toledo's a six-point favorite. Great. They're playing in the Bahamas. That's great. The sponsor of this game, um, Makers Wanted, is the slogan... For Elk Grove Village, Illinois. That's right. This game in the Bahamas is being sponsored by the business bureau of Elk Grove Village as they try to get companies to move their headquarters there. Um, very bull, bull very sponsorship odd. going rates must be really low. Like it's. I mean, it's it's amazing. This I live five minutes away from Elk Grove Village. Like I, Elk Grove Village is basically where I get off the interstate every day on my way home from work um and it's you know it's northwest suburbs and i don't know it it is so bizarre i mean obviously like so many of these towns out here like towns everywhere you're looking to attract industry you're looking to attract jobs and businesses and i i give them credit they're thinking outside of the box um i I I want to watch this game just to see i want to watch this game just to see what the commercials are for uh for Elk, Elk Grove, Grove. yeah. Let me let me let me tell you, ain't gonna be a lot of scenery in those commercials. <laughs> I don't want to throw shade, but uh... you're not gonna get the swooping drone vistas over the <laughs> yeah. overlooking like the bluffs and you know the yes. the, the luscious golf courses. No, n- none of that in Elk Grove Village. 
No, I'm hope it, I'm hoping for some really horrible like Chicago local business uh, commercials. Like you guys remember the commercials for Blackie's Pub? Um, <laughs> just like no, which no, is just Eagle which Man. Is, yeah, oh, Eagle, yeah, Eagle Man. Like <laughs> oh, just, and Peter Francis Geraci. Let's get a bunch of that too. The, the, like yeah. there's there's a a solid history of like horrific, uh, just awkward, low production quality. Chicago business ads and I'm that's what I'm really hoping for. The other point is that this this game has been kind of uh crazy the last few years. It's been a really yeah. fun one. So I expect a good showing even though I don't have any real feel for these two teams. A later on that afternoon, you've got Western Michigan and BYU at the famous Idaho Potato Bowl on the Smurf Turf in Boise. Lyle Field, Lyle Smith Field at Albertsons Stadium. That's a mouthful. Uh, are, are, Mich- are you allowed to talk about Albertsons Stadium? I- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> uh, be- I, I've I've not been forced to buy uh, season tickets to see Kentucky play at Kroger Field yet. So. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, BYU a twelve point favorite in this one. Yeah, it seems about right. Yeah, it's it's so funny. BYU is they're capable of playing good defense. I mean, this is a good defensive football team. Uh, obviously, we all know what their big win of the year was. It was at the Badgers back when that team was the number six team in the country. Obviously, they were not that good. Um, but um, credit where credit is due, BYU went in there against the weight of expectations and pulled it off. They also beat Arizona on the road at the beginning of the year. Um, and <clears throat> this is a team that lost close games to NIU and Boise State late in the season and lost by eight, point of note, uh, in the Civil War at the end of the year to Utah. No, no, no that, that's the Holy War, my friend. The Holy War, yes, the Holy War, my mistake, not the Civil War. Um, the But yeah, so... Um, BYU is, is a really good defensive team, um, which is funny because uh, Western Michigan is not. <laughs> this is a team that's given up um, close to 40 points a game, three of their, or over 40 points a game, three of their last four games. So um, I don't know. I mean, I, Western was having a pretty solid season, you know, for a while, um, but they kind of fell off late, and I feel like probably BYU is the better team here. The- Squally Canada. That's- oh, that's right. Best and the best name in. <laughs> I he I think he's gonna just run wild uh, in this game. They haven't they haven't seen a running back like that since they played Syracuse and Michigan towards the beginning of the year. So there is a joke to be made about Western Michigan rowing the boat on the blue field. I, I, I just <laughs> I just don't have it. I- yeah. So consider the joke told, and now you're you're bu- you're bent over in laughter. So. Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's all the bowls we want to talk about uh, tonight. Next week, we'll come back uh, for the, the next slate of uh, week or so of bowls uh, where you get a few more teams that you've heard of. Um, or, I guess, few more. By that, I mean a few more Power 5 teams. Um, you know, the ones that get TV coverage. But, uh, yeah, let, let's go ahead and leave it there. Again, head over to our website, westlawpirates.com. Sign up for our bowl preview challenge. Um, you know, sign up for our bowl pick'em challenge. It's not a preview challenge you're, when you're actually just picking them. 
wow, I need to, I need to get some sleep. <laughs> uh, so we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Um, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Uh, again, sign up for our bowl pick em challenge there. Uh, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, at westlotpirates. Call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flagging the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.